Mark 16, let's start at verse 1. The Bible says, Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought, bought spices that they may come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb, and the sun had risen. And they had said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe, uh, sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going to go before you into Galilee. And there you will see him as he said to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Speak to our hearts. Give us an ear to hear. Lord, I pray that if there be people in this room today that are far from you, that they will draw near to you today. God, we give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. You can be seated this morning. And again, as we always say, good morning. We're glad that you're here. We're excited that you're here. I don't know how you got here, but we're just excited that you made it. Praise God. But this is a wonderful day. It's a day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're in a series right now, and I, this just happened to go right along with what I've been teaching for this month, Next Level Living. But today we're going to talk about overcoming the fear of death. Overcoming the fear of death. It sounds like quite a morbid subject to tackle on a resurrection morning. After all, we're here to talk about the resurrection. But can I tell you, that the only way you can truly overcome the fear of death is by understanding the power of Jesus' sacrifice and his resurrection. And so this morning, we're going to look at that and march right into it. So as we've gathered here today, we stand united with, with churches and Christians all around the world as they celebrate on this day, the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. As I mentioned uh, just a moment ago, we received communion uh, that the resurrection holiday is actually uh, tracks right along with Passover. Jesus' life and his death uh, emulated a lot of those feasts that the Jews celebrated, but it culminated with Passover because if you know the story, and if you don't, let me tell you, back in the Old Testament, the, the Jews, God's people, were in Egyptian bondage for 400 years and God raised up a deliverer by the name of Moses, and uh, God gave them a strategy on how to get out of Egypt. And there were several plagues that came, but on the last one, he told them, he said, you were to take a lamb, a spotless lamb. It was perfect. It could not have any uh, malady to it at all. You were to take that lamb, and you were to sacrifice it for your family. You were to eat that lamb, and then you were to take the blood of the, the lamb and apply it to the doorpost of the house so that when the death angel passed over, that uh, you would be passed over. And so that's where we get the term Passover. Well, Hebrews tells us Christ is our Passover, having made a sacrifice once and for all. So that's why we celebrate this morning. That's why the resurrection is a big deal. But today we stand arm in arm with our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are celebrating this very thing. I would like to tell you there are many 
religions that a person could follow. There's Buddhism, there's Islam, there's all different types of sectarian groups, you know, you name it. But the one thing that sets Christianity apart from all of the others in the world is the fact that Jesus Christ resurrected and rose again. It is a very, very powerful, pivotal moment in our faith. Without the resurrection, literally, we stand eyeball to eyeball in equality with all of the other religions of the world. But the last I checked, there's still an empty tomb in Jerusalem because Jesus Christ rose again. That is a powerful, powerful thing for us to, to grap, grapple with. You, you stand here today and perhaps you're a skeptic. And I know that there, we live in a generation where people want proof. They want to show me the proof. Uh, in fact, they, they should live in Missouri because it's what? The show me state, right? Well, let me tell you, there are a lot of religions that people follow through the world that have no historical proof, no historical evidence. But I want you to know something, that when you put the Bible up against other religions of the world, tracing back all the way from the Garden of Eden to, to the patriarchs of our faith like Abraham and Moses and the prophets and the exodus out of, out of uh, Egypt, um, even into the New Testament of Caiaphas and the, the synagogues. Archaeologists who are not Christian, secular people who have set out to um, excavate and to find history have found the biblical relics all throughout the Middle East. Uh, in, in other words, uh, people think that, uh, that Pharaoh's army being drowned in the Red Sea is hard to swallow. Well, it's kind of hard to refute the fact that secular archaeologists have found chariot wheels in the bottom of the Red Sea. It's hard to refute the fact that the copies of the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are oldest manuscripts of Scripture, have been found and been validated against various tests. It's hard to go up against the fact that um, where Jesus lived uh, for a time in Capernaum, where Peter's mother-in-law was healed and a lot of other things happened, that the synagogue there was excavated and there were typographical writings written at the base of the synagogue speaking of Jesus of Nazareth. Friends, we have a, a faith that requires faith to follow, but it's not a blind faith. Jesus, in fact was a real person, he walked this earth, and people have even said that he rose from the dead. Now, let me give you a bit of example this morning. This is by a man by the name of Josephus. Josephus was a Jewish historian. I want you to understand, he was not a Christian. He was not a Christ follower. I want to read to you a small excerpt this morning because I'm building, a, a building something to go somewhere today. I want to read a small excerpt from a book entitled The Antiquity of the Jews, book number 18, chapter number 3, from the works of a man named Josephus who was not a Christian. By the way, Josephus was one of the most, and still is, one of the most respected Jewish historians of his day. Here's what Josephus wrote, quote, now, there was a man about this time, Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of men, as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him many of the Jews and also many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him. For he appeared to them alive again the third day. 
as the divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him and the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct at this day. Josephus recorded in history that Jesus was seen alive after the resurrection. Friends, this morning, that is great, but I don't need that today to validate my faith, even though I appreciate it. I know that Jesus is alive because of the testimony of his spirit in my life and heart from the fact of the moment when I gave my life to Jesus Christ. There's not a person on God's green planet that can talk me out of my salvation. I love my Savior, and I love the fact that he died and he gave his life for me. Why is this important? It's important to validate the fact that Jesus rose from the dead because if Jesus indeed conquered the, the death in the grave, then in fact you and I can look death in the eyes and we have no fear of it because Jesus conquered death. Now this morning we're talking about this resurrection Everybody likes to shout about when they went to the tomb early Sunday morning. And I started out with those scriptures. But I want to backtrack with you for a moment. And I want to talk about moments that led up to this time. Because see, here's the fact, friend. The Bible says in John chapter 3, that for God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever should believe in Him, that would put their trust in Him, that if they would put their hope and their confidence in his sacrifice, whoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, I want you to know that before you were even a sparkle in your mother's eye, God loved you. God had a plan for your life. There's no accident today. No, no. God, when you were created, when you were, when you were wrought in conception, your parents might have thought it was an accident. Others may have thought it was a bad idea. But can I tell you something? God was not sitting in the heavens saying, uh-oh, when you came into this world. God knew you before you ever showed up on the scene. And because God knew you, he also foreordained you and foredestined you to become into the image of his son. And God knew that man had a sin problem. So even before Adam and Eve fumbled the ball, God even knew they would do that. He provided a sacrifice. The Gospel of Matthew records Jesus coming into the earth. He was the ultimate sacrifice as Israel had went to the temple sacrificing the lambs for their sins over and over and over again. Why did they have to keep doing it over and over again? Because it wasn't good enough what they were doing. There, there was no power in those paschal lambs to be able to stop the power of sin. And so God sent his son perfect to the earth. Scripture records Jesus walking in the earth and doing good. The Bible says he healed those who were sick. He expounded, expelled demons out of those who were possessed and, and tormented. He took the dead, and even at times, not every single time, but, but a lot of times, the dead even, he resurrected them back to life. He interrupted funerals. He walked on water. He defied all human logic. And he didn't do anything wrong except celebrate the fact that he and his Father were one and that Jesus was the Son of God. There was a religious group of people. There were the Pharisees. They were the keepers of the law. 
These men were astute men of society. They had scripture memorized and they were very to the letter, very legalistic at everything that they did. Then there was another group of, of religious leaders in Jesus' day named the Sadducees. I'm about to make a really corny joke right here. But the Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the bodily resurrection of the dead. And so Jesus had gone face to face with these religious leaders and they tried to to basically uh, incriminate him and, and anything that they could possibly try to find on him they couldn't find he was innocent they tried to get him for blasphemy claiming that he was God and ultimately that was the ultimate thing that they got him so Jesus was in the garden knowing that his time was at hand Challenged his disciples to pray. And of course, you know, the scripture says one of them fell asleep. And Jesus said, can you not tarry with me for one hour? And Judas, one of the disciples, had given up the location of Jesus, betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. And off they marched Jesus to the scene of where we begin to celebrate today. Jesus, the innocent, two-legged, two-armed, perfect son of God found himself on trial in front of one of the most powerful men in his day, Pilate, Pontius Pilate. The crowds were screaming, crucify him, crucify him. The Bible doesn't tell us a lot about Pilate's wife, but what it does tell us is that God visited her, troubled her in a dream. And she went to her husband and said, if we, if we execute this man, it's going to be a bad business. You need to, 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 to rid yourself, your conscience of this man. And the Bible says that Pilate washed his hands and he said, I've got a plan. I'm going to go find the most nastiest, vilest criminal that you could ever find. And they found a murderer by the name of Barabbas. The Bible says that in that day, the culture and custom was that once a year, they were allowed to pardon one criminal. And they said, surely they won't let Barabbas walk. Yet they bought Barabbas out in front of the crowd beside Jesus. And he said, what will you do with Jesus, who is called Christ? I call this the question of all questions. In fact, it's a question that all of us have to deal with today. What will we do with Jesus, who is called Christ? It's a question that you're going to have to ask before you leave this room today. But they stood before Pilate. Here Jesus, innocent, all he did was help people. He set them free. He put them in the right direction. And then you have a scowling murderer named Barabbas. Bar Abbas. See, the Bible refers to Peter as Simon Bar Jonah. Bar in the language of that day simply just means son of. Now, Abba means father. Now, I want you to paint this picture with me this morning. Here you have the son of God or the son of our heavenly father. And then beside him you have Barabbas, which is also translated son of the father. Interesting. One of them is completely innocent. 
The other one is completely guilty. So they said, crucify him. They let Barabbas go free. And they begin to march Jesus up the hill called Calvary. Now, I never saw this until I began to study this afresh over the last few, few weeks. But in the Old Testament, there was something called a scapegoat. And the scapegoat, the priest would be able to lay his hand on, on the innocent goat and transfer the sin onto another goat and send it into the wilderness. And I was thinking about this and how Barabbas was just simply let free. He was guilty, but he was just let free. And here Jesus was not guilty. And here he was about to endure the greatest punishment that anybody could ever experience. Roman crucifixion. It was reserved for the worst of the worst people. Jesus, they begin to march him up Calvary's hill, up the hill called Golgotha. The Bible says they took a cat of nine tails. and They began to beat him with it. To the point to where the Bible says he was without recognition. The blood, the sweat, the everything. And, and yet it was hard. That cross was heavy and, and Jesus marched up it. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says with the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He could have called on 10,000 angels. He was God. He could have chosen not to do it if he would have chosen so. But I'm thankful that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, Father, not in my will, but your will be done. And so Jesus, as he begins to go, they begin to mock him. The Bible says they spat on him. And then they hung him in between two thieves. See, Roman crucifixion was an agonizing death because ultimately when somebody was crucified, the way that they actually died was asphyxiation. They basically suffocated. Because they would nail them in places to where they could hang up on the cross and as long as they had strength, they could pull themselves up. But eventually they would slough down then they would have to keep pulling themselves back up. And because they wanted to get the process done early, oftentimes they would break their legs. The Bible says the soldiers went to break Jesus' legs and somehow they turned around and walked off. People might think, what was the deal with that? Well, the scripture said in Psalms that none of his bones would be broken. So the Holy Spirit turned this man around and there Jesus was on this cross. The Bible says that a Roman guard, because it wasn't good to have the body there at sundown, took that spear, put it in Jesus' side. The Bible says, out from his side, burst forth, blood and water and Jesus said father into your hands I commit my spirit he said it is finished the Bible says he hung his head and he gave up the ghost now I've I've let out a lot of different details there was conversations between the thieves and the man that reviled him and and surely I want you to go back and look at that this week but what I'm trying to show you is that Jesus suffered on this cross for a moment, physical death. They took his body and they laid it in a tomb of a rich man named Joseph of Arimathea. In that culture, in that custom, what they did was they would wrap the body and then they would come back and they would anoint it with spices and, and th those things. And our text leads us up to Mark chapter 16, that early on Sunday morning, 
When they got to the tomb, they had their spices. They were ready to anoint the body of Jesus. And when they got there, they said the stone had been rolled away. And there was a white a man in white. One, one passage says it was a gardener. He was there. He said, you seek Jesus. He's not here. He is risen, just as he told you. Then I want you to go and tell the disciples. And so they begin to go and tell the disciples. And there's this whole aspect of Jesus revealing himself alive to those that he's following. You say, what in the world does all that have to do with this morning, Pastor Brad? We can be excited about the resurrection of Jesus Christ because Jesus defeated the last enemy and that last enemy was death. That's why the scripture said, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Church, I want you to know something this morning that aside from Jesus Christ, coming in the clouds of glory, which he could do at any moment, and I welcome such a thing. But aside from that, all of us are faced with our own mortality. Seems like we've been in a season of funerals. One thing I've learned about death, it doesn't discriminate. It doesn't matter if you're rich. It doesn't matter if you're poor. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, whether you're college educated, whether you've got a GED, whether you dropped out of school in the seventh grade. Death doesn't discriminate. Lest Jesus comes in the clouds of glory, 10 out of 10 people die. It's a conversation that literally, sorry, no pun intended, sucks the life out of the room. Nobody likes to talk about it. Nobody likes to plan for it. But the truth is, number one, we got to face the reality of death. It's something we simply cannot avoid. People try to prevent it. They try to circumvent it. There are even um, very wealthy people. I think Walt Disney is one of them. I think Walt Disney, uh, they say scientifically, Cairo, Cairo froze his body in hopes that one day they can find some technology to bring him back to life. People have tried to circum, circumvent death. They have tried to wrap up the, the, the bodies of the mummies in the ancient Egyptian uh, pyramids. They've excavated them and they've, they've found out that, that their attempts to preserve life, although it may have preserved the body shortly, it didn't preserve it long term. Here's the reality, folks, is that all of us are going to face eternity. The question is, are we prepared for what lies ahead? Are we prepared for what lies ahead? I've got the ultimate question for you today. Have you made it right with Jesus? Have you made it right with Jesus? It's, it's the question of all questions today. If you're going to die, we all know that we are. The question is, have we made it right with Christ, the one who died for our soul? Listen, if then Christ indeed has truly risen from the dead, then you and I can face death without uncertainty, without fear, because we know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We've got to understand that today. The question is, have you prepared for it?
Many people have written wills. Many people have purchased life insurance policies. But the most important question of those two is this. Have you assured that your life, have you assured that your heart, have you assured that your relationship with Jesus Christ is okay? That's the most important thing. Because death is a reality. We cannot avoid it. The next thing I want to share with you is this. Number two, I want to look at the victory of death. The victory of death is the fact that Jesus Christ has already won the victory. I want to read from a passage of Scripture this morning. 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. I want to read verse 50 through verse 58. The Bible says, now, say, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. When this corruption has, corruptible has put on the incorruption, this mortal has put on immortality, then we shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Look at verse 57. But thanks be to God who always gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to read that verse one more time. But thanks be to God who always gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, listen, death is a reality. And I want you to know something. I said a moment ago, rich people die, poor people die. Black people die, white people die. You Educated, uneducated. But I also want to make a, a point to you this morning, and I want you to hear this with both ears today. Not only do rich people die and poor people die and, and vice versa and in between, but also Christian people die and unchristian people die. The saved die, the lost die. The only difference between the two is number one. What have we done with Jesus? That's the number one thing. Folks, i got to be honest with you. We don't go to heaven because we're good. We don't go to heaven because our grandparents were pastors. We don't go to heaven because we give a lot of our earnings to charity. We don't go to heaven because we, we don't curse or we don't chew and we don't roam at those who do. Come on. Because we're a good little boy or a good little girl. That's not why we go to heaven. We don't go to heaven because we're good. We go to heaven because He was good. We go to heaven because Jesus made a way. 
Through his life, his death, and his resurrection, it is the gospel message, my friend. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. There is no salvation outside of the cross of Christ and putting your faith in the finished work of Jesus. Today, I'm here to tell you, in the words of Jesus in John 14 and 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. Nobody. That includes you. The only way we'll stand in eternity with Christ is by accepting the sacrifice of Jesus, which is the ultimate victory see as we celebrate this resurrection sunday we remember that through jesus resurrection we have the hope of eternal life i I made a i made a mention a moment ago about death nobody likes to talk about it nobody really likes to prepare for it it's kind of morbid we all tend to think we're going to live forever but there's one good thing in all of this there is a ray of sunshine there is some hope that you and I can draw even from this vastly dark season of life that comes to everybody is this. The Bible teaches us that are, that are Christians. The Bible teaches us that we are not like those who sorrow that have no hope. For we believe that if Jesus rose, then he will also come again for those who have died. Folks, here's what I need you to understand. One of the great things about the victory that Jesus gives over death is that we're not only reunited with Christ, but we're also reunited with all of those who have gone before us. It's so awesome. Some of you in this room, you have grieved great losses. Maybe mom's died Dad's died, spouse died, child died, best friend died. Somebody you know closely has died in your life and you have grieved over them. And you have agonized over the, 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 the physical loss and the temporal pain of, of this earth not being able to answer the phone or to, to attend a holiday or to celebrate a birthday or an anniversary. You, you have dealt with this pain, very real. But let me tell you something. If they were a Christian, my friend, we will get to see them again it is part of the ultimate victory of Christ's rule over death hell and the grave (laughs) hallelujah you know why it's hard for for us to corral everybody back after meet and greet for a moment or two because you don't do it enough during the week but can I tell you something that's what heaven's going to be like it's going to be a big family For all of eternity with Jesus as a central focus, worshiping our Savior forever. Because listen, in this life there is pain. In this life there is torment. And in this life, unfortunately, there is death. See, whether or not what our status is in this life, all of us one day, if Jesus doesn't come back first, one day our our lungs are going to stop receiving oxygen. Our heart is going to stop pumping blood. Our chin is going to drop down on our lifeless chest 
test. They're going to put our body in a box or a crematory and they're going to have fried chicken and tell us, tell people how good we were. But I want you to know something, my friend. There's more to life than fried chicken. There's more to life than working 40 hours. There's more to life than all of these temporal things. There is eternity because eternal life is found in Jesus Christ. Eternal life is found in Jesus Christ. And friends, we're all going that way. The difference, though, between some of us and some of you, have you made that appointment? Jesus gives us the victory over death. I've often joked with people, but I'm being serious. I'm not afraid to die. I just... Don't want it to hurt. True story. Not afraid to die. I know where I'm going. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Heaven's a place of no peace, no pain, no separation. There's no sorrow, no sickness, no tears. There's no, no sadness, but Jesus is in heaven forever. So Christ gives us a victory over death. The last thing, but not the least thing. I want to look at our response to Christ's death. What should our response to Christ's death be? Our response should be, since that Jesus then died for us, we should live for Him. There are many people who say, I would die for Jesus. But how can you die for Him if you won't live for Him? See, our response to Christ's death is to walk in the power of the resurrection. See, here's the truth. Since Jesus lives, we will also live. This body, this flesh, we spend so much time, right? And we should. We should steward it. Some of us go to the grave earlier than we should because we don't. On the other side, I've known people completely healthy. So we thought that left prematurely. But we steward our body. We do the best we can. But the truth is, this body right here is just a vehicle. That's all it is. From the dust of the earth we came to the dust of the earth we shall go. But our response to Christ's death should be to live our lives with purpose. You know, I said something just a moment ago, and I want to echo this again. If you don't hear anything else I say today, I want you to hear these words. You're not an accident. You're not worthless. God has a purpose for your life. He has a plan for your life. You say, I don't know what that plan is. That plan is for you to serve Him. That plan is for you to serve Him with all of your life. Get this. When Christ went up to that cross, every lash, every wound, every accusation, people say the nails held Him there. But I want to tell you, the nails are not what held Christ there. The Romans aren't even technically the one that put him there. 
It was our sin that put him there. Our sin. S-I-N. It's worse than COVID. Sin. The transgression of our heart. The Bible says sin separates us from God. So not only did Jesus overcome the grave, but in doing so, he restores our relationship with God. Restores our relationship with God. What does the Bible say? All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want to close with these thoughts this morning. For those of you that are here, you may be young, you may be old, you may be anywhere in between. Maybe you've not thought about your life. But this morning, before we leave here today, I want you to think about it. Where are you with Jesus? If he were to come today in the clouds of glory, would you be ready? Or would you be left here? If you were to walk out of this building today, your life is suddenly end. Would you be ready? So, Pastor, I'm not. I'll do it tomorrow, next week, next month. I got to sow some wild oats first. Friend, don't play that game. That's literally Russian roulette with your soul. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow is promised to nobody. You know the one thing that I see the most at funerals and funeral homes is? Regret. I wish I would have done this. I wish we would have done that. Today, don't regret this decision. If you don't know Christ, today's the day to know Him. On this Resurrection Sunday, overcoming the fear of death, I don't know how I can paint the picture any more clear, that Jesus loved you so much that He hung on an old rugged cross. And every one of the sins we would ever commit were put upon his body he was innocent he didn't revile he didn't try to take himself down yet he humbled himself and died the death of the cross so that he could pay the price for us to be saved today If you don't know Jesus, He wants to know you in a very intimate way. In just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make a public response. You say, Pastor, why do I need to do that? Well, very plainly, the Bible says that if we're ashamed of Him, He'll be ashamed of us. When Jesus hung on that cross, I know Hollywood depicts it as him having a loincloth on and all of that stuff. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he was naked, stripped in front of everybody. As the world looked on and laughed and hell thought that they had won a victory. They put him in that tomb, but friends, listen, three days later, he arose again, defeating death, hell, and the grave. Squashing the power of sin and making a way of eternal life. Listen, today, if you don't know Christ, you simply just need to acknowledge, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. That doesn't mean you're a bank robber. 
doesn't mean you're an adulterer, a fornicator. You might be. I don't know. God doesn't care. He doesn't tally all that up. His grace covers all of it. Listen, today, there's no degree of lostness. You're either lost or you're saved. We got one of our newest church members here this morning, little Miss Amelia in the back. And when Miss Delissa, our bass player, was pregnant, you're either pregnant or you're not. Come on, ladies. There's no in-between. You know how we know she was pregnant? Ta-da! Hello. The fruit of it is there. Listen, you're either saved or you're lost. There's no in-between. Today, I want you to stand on your feet with me. I've invited some people to come and help us pray today.